Deion Sanders is sending a pretty clear message to everybody else in the Pac-12 when it comes to the transfer portal. Let's go. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Lockdown Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with our beloved Conference of Champions. Please continue, and thank you for doing so, liking, commenting, subscribing, wherever you listen to or watch this show. I think Deion Sanders is just a wildly fun and entertaining hire. And he's sending a very distinct message to everybody right now. And that's that whoever you think you have on your team coming to your program in the future from the high school ranks, on your team now or on your transfer portal radar, Dion's going to come for him too. Because Coach Prime is going about this recruiting process and transfer portal process with the players he's offering in a way that I think speaks very directly to his mindset. And that is a mindset of aggression, attacking, and I don't care if you say no. And I'm going to make you say no, because I am Coach Prime, and this is the way things are. You will listen to what I have to say because I am Coach Prime. You might end up telling me no, but that's not going to stop me from trying. That's where his head seems to be at. And I will tell you why. Also, later in the show, we'll talk about DJ Uyunglele, a couple Pac-12 options there, and then the uh, the all-conference teams came out as well. But there have been rumors, speculation, reports, whatever you want to, excuse me, whatever you want to call them, with regards to how much interest Colorado is getting with Coach Prime at the helm, how many players, how highly rated these players are, who they are, and whatnot. There are a lot of names out there. Now, I believe they've offered Dorian Singer, the wide receiver from Arizona. And that's a little bit telling because that's a that's a target that if he's able to land. Will speak to how great he can make this Colorado roster, how successful he can be on that front. If Dorian Singer ends up choosing Colorado because Dorian Singer is a part of an offense at Arizona that was really successful this year. They won five games. They won one the year before. If I'm Singer, I don't know if he would want to go to a place that, you know, I'm like on on the surface, if Dorian Singer was a second-team All-Pac-12 performer this year, if he ends up choosing Colorado, a team that just went 1-11, he would have been on a part of two programs that were one season removed from going one and 11. And I don't think, generally speaking, that's what players are looking for in the portal when they're in a position as Singer is in, where he can attract offers from Oregon, from I'm sure USC would be interested. I'm sure he could even find room in Washington's talented receiving core. There are a lot of places he could go. He's, he is a really good player. Really balanced wide receiver, lethal from the slot. Great speed, good hands, good size. He can have a lot of options, but if he chooses Colorado, 
if he were to end up there, that would be so telling about how people truly feel about Coach Prime. Because on the outset, right, outside looking in, there's no real reason for him to go there except for Coach Prime. And if you can acquire that sort of player this quickly, rest of the Pac-12 has to be on notice. couple other names that I have heard get thrown around in terms of where Coach Prime and his staff that he's assembling. I heard he uh, he hired Mike Zimmer as his defensive coordinator. He'd been an analyst with him at, at Jackson State. So he's got a former NFL head coach as his defensive coordinator, which on the high school recruiting front, which we're going to talk about more tomorrow with my guy John Garcia, that is a coach who you can look at and say, look, I know what it takes to get to the NFL as a player, and he knows what you need for the modern NFL as a coach. That can't do anything but good things for him on the recruiting front. But a couple other names that I've seen them offer. Caleb Presley, who is a highly sought-after recruit out of the state of Washington, number one overall recruit in the state of Washington, the class of 2023. He's an Oregon commit. Washington is trying very hard to flip him. He's a highly rated four-star corner out of Rainier Beach High School. And Deion Sanders, back to the mindset I started the show with, is sitting there going, I don't care. I'm Deion Sanders. He feels confident enough to try and go after that guy late in the process. Another name, Caden Proctor, the number one offensive tackle. In the 2023 recruiting cycle, these are the sorts of names that Coach Sanders and his staff feel like they can get or have a shot at or want to have a shot at. So if you're a fan of any Pac-12 fan base looking around and thinking, how is our coaching staff going to assemble the roster? How are they going to get players? How are they going to do this? One thing I'm here to tell you, and it's a little bit gloomy if you're not a Colorado Buffs fan. And I think Colorado still has a long way to go. And some of this will eventually fade. But right now it is not. And I will not be surprised at all if in the coming months you see a transfer portal announcement within the Pac-12 of one player leaving a good or solid program and going to Colorado. And I think that ramification is, is, is... potentially highly impactful depending on who it is. I'd look at a program like Cal right now and say, they've got a really good receiving core. I think Anderson's a good player. J. Michael Sturdivant is a good player. They got some dudes out there on the perimeter. If you're going to struggle in 2023, which Cal might be poised to do, they hired a new offensive coordinator. It is an okay hire. Former Texas State head coach. He was once the Bears OC in 2016 when they had Jared Goff. You look at a program like that and say, is if you would if you're going to probably struggle anyway, and Cal just did going four and eight this year, would you rather struggle playing for a regular coach, so to speak, or would you rather struggle playing for Coach Prime? Because he's gonna put you in the spotlight as much as possible. And we haven't seen a big move yet. We have not seen that yet. But the mindset that Deion Sanders is coming with, combined with the brand power he has at Colorado, just individually, has nothing to do with the buffs. This would be the same if he'd gone to Stanford, be the same if he went to Auburn. Like It w- would not have mattered. This is just who he is and how he operates. And the fact that he is coming in 
barely having touched down or set foot in the state of Colorado as its head coach. And he's going after these sorts of names. And that's what he believes he can get. And that's what he's striving for. Has to make you feel good as a Buffs fan with regards to how much roster improvement they could have from this year to next year. I think even if they have a great transfer portal offseason, it's still going to take more than one year to be a competitive team. But could you do an Arizona? Could you go from one win to five? Depends on who they add. But he is coming. He is going for big swings. Oregon has a lot of talented guys leaving their roster right now. Sean Dollars, running back. Dante Thornton, big, athletic, long wide receiver with great speed. There are a lot of guys in the transfer pool that you look at and go, boy, Cal's, uh, I think, first or second team, all Pac-12 linebacker, pretty sure first team, which I'll, we'll talk about later in the show. He's in the portal. Like There are so many names I could see him coming for, and I think the attraction is 100% possible. Colorado's made quite the hire. They made quite the hire here. And if you're going to make a hire for your small business, it feels like a high-stakes wager every time you do it nowadays, which is why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Go create a free job post in minutes. It's really easy. Add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. And simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Let's get to this question, and that is DJ Uyunglele, the one-time five-star recruit and Clemson quarterback who is in the transfer portal. I did ask the question to myself before coming on to, to tape the show, is that someone Colorado would go after? I think ordinarily the answer is yes. If Deion Sanders hadn't already said, that's my son over there, he's going to be the quarterback, you know, he, he kind of like tried to walk it back in that opening presser, but, you know, he was talking to Buffs fans and media and alumni. He's like, there's your quarterback right over there. Well, he's 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 going to have to earn it. You know, he's he's going to have to earn like, OK. Got it. Yeah. All righty then, coach, whatever, whatever you say. So I don't think Colorado is going after him, but I, as I said, I think he'll be going after uh, some notable Pac-12 players. We don't really know who that is yet. I threw out a couple names. I'm sure there have been plenty more offers I'm overlooking. If you know, drop them in the YouTube comments. But I'm just saying, he's going big game hunting. But DJ Uyunglele is one of the hottest names in the transfer portal at the quarterback position. And I believe that there are several Pac-12 teams that should be interested. Whether or not they will, different story. But there are five teams in particular that will be or that would be, I should say, good fits or appropriate fits to where he could have some success. It is easy because I've watched DJU play at Clemson over the last couple of seasons. It's been ugly. It's been really ugly. And it's not for a lack of physical traits. Big, good release, big arm. He has not found the right system. So before you say, well, who would want him anyway? A lot of teams would want him. 
a lot of teams would want him the same way that Oregon was able to take Bo Nix, where not that many people wanted him really, but Oregon did, and look at what he did this year. I think Bo Nix was better at Auburn, or at least more impressive in spurts than what DJU was at Clemson. But he's got playing experience, he's got size, he's got athleticism, he's got a good arm. It looks like, he looked like a player at Clemson that is just missing the right system and the right coaching. And he wasn't able to find it there. Doesn't mean Dabo Sweeney's a bad coach. I think we all know that he's not. But it's really easy to look at it and write him off and say, well, you know, that's just, can't do that. Like, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. Well... Jack Plummer got benched at Cal. He went to Cal, or got benched at Purdue. He went to Cal. He looked like a better version of a quarterback than what he showed at Purdue. Doesn't mean he was great or spectacular, but he was solid. And he wasn't solid at Purdue. I know that because he was benched for Aiden O'Connell, who was at one point a walk-on, I believe. So here are the five schools that I could reasonably see working DJU into their system for 2023. Number one, UCLA. I don't know what the status of Ethan Garber's development is. In the spurts that I've seen him, I think he's been pretty impressive. But what you have to remember about DJ Uyunglele, or how I will continue to refer to him as DJU, he is a Southern California native. He went to St. John Bosco High School. That's where his brother is right now. They are not a package deal in recruiting. They are not a package deal. Well, you, so anyone who's thinking, well, you know, if you get DJ, then you'll get Mateo. Nope, there's been no indication that that's true. Absolutely none. You could get them individually, but the idea that if you get one, you're getting the other, there's been no indication of that. Besides, who doesn't want to sack their brother in college? That sounds really fun. Mateo's a five-star uh, edge prospect looking at two Pac-12 schools, USC and Oregon. So I think UCLA could make some sense there. You'd have a great offensive mind in Chip Kelly. And though I think Dabo Sweeney is a good one, one thing you also have to consider as Clemson goes forward, they will continue to be a successful football program, mostly because they're in the ACC, but they're still run at a high level. But they just lost both their coordinators, and they did not look like the Clemson we thought they would be when they won a couple national championships in recent years past. Just something to look at. Just something to consider. And if you're trying to get a reboot as a quarterback, you'd want to go where you have a good, proven offensive mind and an opportunity to play. Dorian Thompson-Robinson is leaving. DJU came in. He'd be competing with Ethan Garbers. He would have a very good shot to win that starting job, though in the limited action we've seen from Garbers, younger brother, former Cal quarterback Chase Garbers, he's looked solid. But he has not looked like, you know, this prodigy waiting in the wings to where it's, no, it's definitely going to be him. Like, DJ, you could come in, have a chance to compete for that job. Oregon would certainly be in the mix. That depends on if Bo Nix were to come back. If Bo Nix leaves, that creates a void. Oregon would be left with Ty Thompson, who doesn't look like he's going to live up to his recruiting potential, though is still somewhat of an unknown at this point in time. At the very least, needs more time to develop. Dante Moore, if they keep him committed, five-star, you going to start a true freshman? Mm, I don't know. And DJU would be the most experienced quarterback 
in that room if he came in. Would certainly be an option. And Oregon, as we saw this year with Bo Nix, has a history. Well, it's a short one, but this year had success bringing in a transfer who was a five-star coming out of high school, underwhelmed at the school in a Power 5 conference that he went to, and would be transferring to the Ducks. A lot of similarities there. Another team, Oregon State. Could they get DJU? Probably not. It's probably going to be a higher caliber of program. Not that I don't think Oregon State is good, but the brand reputation that DJU will be looking for in terms of college that he goes to play for, I imagine would be higher. But it's a great fit at Oregon State. I mean, it would be a phenomenal fit because the quarterback, and think of think of Oregon State with Jonathan Smith and Brian Linger in the OC as the San Francisco 49ers. Great defense, high-level running game, and you just don't need that much from your quarterback. You need a little more at times than what Ben Goldbranson gave you this year and what Chance Nolan did against USC. But would you take a chance on DJU knowing you have Goldbranson there if it doesn't work out, if I were Oregon State? I say the answer is yes. Would DJU reciprocate? I think that's another question. Uh, another team, and these are you know definitely more more off the radar, but I'm just saying in terms of fit, I think there are a lot. There's a lot of logic there. He's a California kid, and the California Golden Bears don't know who their quarterback's going to be going into 2023. Would you be able to make it work? I don't know. You got a new offensive coordinator. I think that gives you a better chance than it did before. And if you're Justin Wilcox, I think you'd absolutely take a chance on this guy. I think I think you 100% would, but would he go to Cal? I think that's even less likely than Oregon State, since they're coming off a four and eight year, and Oregon State nine and three, potential to be a 10 win team after their bowl game. I think one thing we do know at this point in time about DJU is the commitment is probably going to be drawn out a little bit. I don't expect it to be super duper soon. But I do think any of these programs could be a fit, at least from a roster standpoint. And I think Colorado would have been a top option with Deion Sanders if he hadn't already said, yeah, that's our quarterback over there, and it was his son. Finally, Arizona State didn't have success. I think Sun Devil fans would probably be pretty wary of it because you'd say, wait a minute, a highly rated high school recruit coming from a Power 5 program out east where he drastically underperformed his recruiting expectations. Didn't we just do that with Emory Jones? Yes, but... You have a new coach now, and that's Kenny Dillingham. And if you're Kenny Dillingham looking at the roster, if you want to compete you know, uh, enough to start to get people excited about your prospects as a head coach and just be able to win more than three games in 2023, you're probably going to need to upgrade the quarterback position. Trenton Borgay, nice story, shows some nice moments, but has a ceiling. I think DJU might have a lower floor than Trenton Borgay, but his ceiling is unquestionably higher. So I think the Sun Devils would be wise to be interested as well. So UCLA, Oregon State, Oregon, Arizona State, Cal, I think he could fit at any of those places. Would he go to all of them? Probably not. UCLA, 100% the most likely here. I listed them first for a reason. I think that is the most appropriate fit in terms of both sides saying yes to that potential arrangement. I think DJU could say, I'm in Los Angeles. I'd be at a program that 
you know, will be in the spotlight somewhat, not just because of Chip Kelly and that they, you know, have become a well-run program the last few years, a winning program, but also because last year in the Pac-12, then you go to the Big Ten, spotlight is there, got some talent, they'll continue to work in the transfer portal. I think that that is certainly possible. The all-Pac-12 team was announced, and all the awards came out as well. I didn't have too many objections. I did have a couple questions. I'll tell you what those are after I tell you about Bet Online, your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to soccer and esports. We've got it all at betonline.com. Net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at Bet Online as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online is where the game starts. Okay, so we have co coaches of the year in the Pac 12 Jonathan Smith at Oregon State, Kalen DeBoer at Washington. And speaking of Jonathan Smith, Oregon State had 19, has, I should say, 19 all-Pac-12 honorees between the first, second team, and honorable mention. That is their most in program history. They also had nine members on the first team. I think first and first and second team, maybe. Somebody can uh, can correct me on that. But I think it was first and second. But that was the most, and the, most in the Pac-12. And that is why Jonathan Smith is up there. Kalen DeBoer is up there because last year Washington was a train wreck, and this year they are most definitely not. They are 10-2, and two, and it was year one. And any USC fans feeling slighted about Lincoln Riley not being in there I think is understandable because they did the same thing. But the difference is where is it harder to do a turnaround? Washington or USC? I don't think Washington is the most difficult turnaround in the Pac-12, but it's certainly not USC. Look at the transfer portal rankings for the 2022 cycle. USC brought in an abundance of talent. Yes, partially because of Lincoln Riley, but also because they're USC. So I, I do agree with that nod, giving it to DeBoer. Share it with Jonathan Smith, who I think was a pretty clear choice, and and, and um, giving that over Lincoln Riley. I, I understand. I get it if you're a USC fan, you're feeling slighted in that sense. I think that's why. Washington fans then conversely are uh, feeling slighted that DeBoer wins the co-coach of the year in the Pac-12, but isn't in the running for national coach of the year, but Lincoln Riley is. I think it's a testament to the exact same feature I just talked about, which is USC is the biggest brand in the conference. So the people voting on the Pac-12 Coach of the Year looked at that and said, that's an easier thing to turn around than that one. And again, not saying Washington is, you know, in Arizona or a Washington State or a Colorado or anything like that. They certainly are not, but it's not USC. And then conversely, that attention and name brand recognition is why Lincoln Riley is up for the National Coach of the Year and Kalen DeBoer is not. I think that is pretty darn clear. Plus, USC was in the playoff hunt until conference championship week. They were in the conference championship game. I think that attention got Lincoln Riley the nod in uh, in that particular front. Not that you can only have one from your conference up for National Coach of the Year, but if you're looking for an explanation, 
I think that's a pretty solid one. So those two are coach of the year, Jonathan Smith and Kalen DeBoer, both very well-deserved. Offensive player of the year, Caleb Williams. Yeah, no disagreements there. Defensive player of the year, Tuli Tuipulotu at USC. Again, pretty hard to disagree when he had 12 and a half sacks. Defensive freshman of the year, Lander Barton at Utah. Just like everything else with Utah, kind of flying under the radar. And then you look at his numbers and you go, oh, yeah, okay, that was pretty clear. I'll be honest, watching Utah games this year, I noticed Lander Barton often. I forgot that he was a true freshman. I, I really, really did. So congrats. Offensive freshman of the year. This was also a pretty easy one, and they got it right. And it's nice to appreciate when voters get it right, because sometimes they don't, and it's frustrating. It's frustrating for fan bases. It's frustrating for casual fans. It's frustrating for players and coaches and the family of the players who deserve it. But they got it right. It's Damian Martinez, who's a first-team All-Pac-12 running back this year. Speaking of that first-team offense, Caleb Williams, a quarterback. No disagreement. Running backs, Damian Martinez, Zach Charbonnet. Again, no argument whatsoever. Jordan Addison and Roma Dunze of uh, Washington. Addison, of course, of USC are your wide receivers on the first team. Kind of hard to object with those two. Now, Addison got hurt, so his stats weren't all there. But it depends on, I suppose, what you're considering. Like, to me, he played enough and was so good in the games that he did play to garner this. I wouldn't have objected to putting him on the second team because he didn't quite have the stats and other guys were able to stay healthy. But there's an element of randomness to injuries, and it's not like he you know, only played in two games or, or something like that. He still had like over 800 yards and eight touchdowns. Uh, tight end, Dalton Kincaid. Yeah, no, no, no surprise there. Uh, offensive line, TJ Bass and Alex Forsyth of Oregon, Andrew Voorhees, USC, Jackson Kirkland of Washington, and Satoa Lomea of Utah. I won't pretend that I've studied the offensive lines in the Pac-12 so much that I could object to any of those, but I read them all and go, hmm, yeah, probably. First team defense, Tuli Tuipulotu, of course, defensive player of the year of USC. Laiatu Latu, glad to see him on there from UCLA. Well-deserved. Braylon Trice of Washington, dude is an absolute force up front. Jeremiah Martin at Washington. Again, the, like, the, the defensive line for Washington was the unquestioned strength there. There wasn't a name that really popped to me that would have gone on there instead of Martin. I think Trice was the more obvious selection of the two, but I think both are, are certainly deserving of that. Uh, Day and Henley, at Washington State at the linebacker spot. Yeah, uh, that's that's an easy one. Uh, Jackson Sermon at Cal, the Washington transfer. First team, again, no argument there. Omar Spates at Oregon State was part of a great defense this year and was easily Oregon State's best player in the front seven. And I don't think that's the only reason he gets this award, but I think it's you know just adding context to how exactly he got there. In the secondary, you've got Clark Phillips, Christian Gonzalez of Utah and Oregon, respectively. Makai Blackman, who was a beast this year. Um, Got to sting a little bit for the, the bus to see those two on, on the All-Pac-12 first team after they left Colorado this year. But you got Deion Sanders, so at least you got that going for you. And then Rajon Wright at Oregon State. The, the DB breakdown here, that, that's four corners 
None of those guys are safeties. I think that's why you didn't have multiple players from Oregon State's uh, defense on there in, in the defensive secondary. I, I think you would have seen maybe like an Alex Austin or a Jaden Grant maybe uh, sneak sneak their way in there. I believe Grant was on the, the second team. And, you know, they just didn't do it conventionally. Guess you're going for four, four best defensive backs. Like, all right. Uh, and then the specialists. That's the only thing I ever did well during my football career in middle school. So uh, Joshua Cardi of Stanford. Eddie Chaplicki is the punter. Uh, Cardi, of course, is the kicker. Chaplicki uh, played for Arizona State. Anthony Gold, the return man. And how about it? Round of applause for the jackhammer. Jack Coletto, the most versatile and awesome player in college football, frankly, or certainly one of them. I, I mean, like, he does. he just does everything. And so he's on there as all-purpose and special teams. Well-deserved honor right there. That's the one that you really, really got right in his final college season. Uh, some notable second-teamers here. Uh, Michael Penix was on the second team. Is there a case for him to be first team as the nation's leading passer? Yes. However, if I had a vote, I also would have gone with Caleb Williams and put Penix on the second team. Because in my view, Caleb Williams is the Heisman Trophy winner. So I don't know how you could be the Heisman winner and then not be first team all conference. Not that Michael Penix didn't have an incredible season. He did. Talking about his return a little bit uh, tomorrow and the ramifications there, specifically what they mean for for Sam Heward. Um, Speaking of Washington, though, Jalen McMillan was honorable mention, but didn't make the first or second team. I think it's just a byproduct of the people who vote for this sort of stuff don't want to put too many members of the same team in there, especially in a pass-happy offense like Washington's. So it's not that McMillan didn't have a great season that was all conference caliber, because it was when you look at his numbers. But again, if you're looking for an explanation, that's what I would think they are going with. Whether or not you agree with that, completely up to you. That, I think, though, was, was their justification on on that front. Uh, Brandon Dorless, who will be off to the NFL after this year from from the Ducks, uh, a second-teamer. And, and Dorian Singer is now in the transfer portal. Talked about him a little bit earlier. And though I thought he had a good season, I watched a good amount of Arizona games this year. I would have gone with Jacob Cowing here. Not that Singer wasn't good. Not that T-Mac wasn't good. And T-Mac, I believe, was was honorable mention. But when I looked at the three of them, I always felt like the most impactful one to the offense was Cowing. And I always thought the second most impactful was T-Mac. And the fact that you, you end up with Singer on the second team and the other two both honorable mention kind of feels like, mm, don't know if you got that right. Not that he's not a very good player and will not be a highly sought-after transfer in the portal. I think he will be, whether he stays in the Pac-12 or not. However, I kind of felt like he was the third most important receiver on the Wildcats team, and I would have put Jacob Cowing in there or Jalen McMillan. Probably Cowing because of what he meant to an Arizona team that, you know, I mean, Washington had a remarkable turnaround, sure, but it was different in Arizona. One win to five wins, 
That'd be an interesting question. What's more impressive, going from one and eleven to five and seven at Arizona, or four and eight to ten and two at Washington? I don't know. That's a coin flip. That's honestly, honestly a coin flip. Probably. Uh, no, I, I honestly don't know. I just asked myself that question, and I don't even know the answer right now. But I think for the most part, what you have to look at here is an ability to recognize that they mostly got it right, and that's a nice thing to see because it just doesn't always happen. We're talking recruiting tomorrow. Hope I will see you then. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you tomorrow.